Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited today to be joined by Anna Luo, uh, VP of Marketing and Customer Innovation at uh, Jivox. Did I say Jivox right? Is it Jivox? How'd I do? It's Jivox. Jivox. Okay, I did good. Well, we're very excited to have you, Anna. Um, well, thank you. Of course, of course. So I actually want to start because I was looking at what Jivox does, you know, and trying to understand it all. And I would say you all have like a product value prop that is very unique and interesting. And I think very designed for a very specific person, right? A global brand, right? That has a lot of campaigns, a lot of creative, and they need to personalize, be omni-channel and do it at scale, right? And so the first question I want to ask you, and I wanted to start off with was, is automating creative worth it? Well, absolutely. I mean, today, in today's world, right, consumers dictate um, what they want, when they want it. And so marketers now are feeling that the challenge, if they serve ads um, that aren't relevant, they're not going to get any return. Right. So how many times have you experienced this yourself? You go to a website and you get, you get some products. And um, sure enough, when you're somewhere else reading, you know, on a hobby site or reading a news article and the same um, product that you were just viewing or maybe you have already purchased popped up. Right. And wherever you go, it follows you. So that is um, that is that has been a problem for uh, brands because, you know, uh, this is not only annoying, but also um, it doesn't convert. So brands are starting to realize, well, you know, what would be the next best thing to do, which is um, if I speak to the, uh, if I recommend something that this person actually, uh, you know, would be thinking about buying and you can use data to, um, um, to trigger the kind of uh, personalized messaging, um, images, products, and um, that way, it really helps um, with the conversion, with the engagement. And so I think that's why it's important. So you're saying this is, so it's not retargeting. So it's a different version of like, let's say I'm a brand, right? And I upload my product feed to Google and I've got my product feed in Facebook. And then I'm just running product level retargeting at scale. Mm -hmm. That isn't working anymore because people are finding it annoying. And so instead of doing that, were how like what so what's the difference between that and what you all are doing i guess it's like yeah so what you what we just described is simple yeah. retargeting and uh personalization is um a lot more granular in understanding um you know the um the a consumer's uh preferences behavior um what the person looked at how um this person interact with the you know the product on the website um, so all of that information is available to the brand. Um, and also um, you can combine that with context, right? So for example, um, on a rainy day, you're obviously not gonna um, advertise um, blindly, you know, um, uh, sunglasses, for example. Um, so it's all, hmm. you know, um, messaging uh, within the context, within the right context. So that is what personalization is about. Okay, so it's retargeting, but with other layers of data that can potentially create, provide better real-world context and drive better user engagement so the ad doesn't just feel stale but alive, correct? 
um, not only alive, but also relevant, right? So, okay. um, right. So I won't keep sending you um, product uh, um, advertising for products that you don't care about. Um, with the data, I understand you better um, of your interest and also where you are at the time of the year, the time of the day, right? So that is what personalization is about. I love that. Now, I have a slight bone to pick, though, Anna, because I used to be really big on, like, optimization, tactics, scale, and all this stuff. And I woke up one day, and I felt like I lost my soul in the sense that it marketing – and when I because when I asked, is automating creative worth it? What I meant by that is you're doing dynamic creative at scale, right? It has offer with image, but it's not sexy. I'm going to be honest. It's not creative. It's not artistic. It doesn't, I don't feel like it has like a, so like think of a D to C startup brand, right? I'm a direct to consumer brand. I'm starting to try to take market share. Like we see these amazing new brands launching every day and they're all about creative. They're all about their brand's soul. They're like, they're messaging their copy. When I've tried to do this for clients and I do like dynamic retargeting or dynamic display ads, right? Where it's like pulling or scraping from the page. I struggle with performance. I don't feel like my ad stands out in a noisy world. My brand loses its brand guide, its color schemes, its copy, its punch, its differentiation. So how do we balance those two in your mind? Well, that's a really good question because what you described before is a template approach, right? Where um, here you stick your picture, here, you know, um, yeah. everything looks very templated. But with technology today, that's available today, you can bring that very, you know, beautifully, you know, brand-centric design um, in a uh, automated fashion. And that's why, that's the value that we bring is, first of all, personalization. How do you have this one-on-one, like, you know, you and I have this interaction, right? How do you bring this interaction, you know, how do you scale it to individuals everywhere, right? Anytime. So that's one value. The other is you can, because of um, our technology, you can create a beautifully, you know, designed um, artistic um, images and videos, and yes. uh, and and use it, and you know, create different variations of that to personalize it uh, in a very quickly um, and deliver that very quickly. I love that, and I mean, I you got you know, for me, I like to keep these interviews super super honest to like my own belief system, and then obviously at the same time say what am I missing? Right. And so when I've always tried to scale, the pursuit of scale has always kept me from scaling because my economics don't work. What I mean by that is when I traditionally remove the level or layer, let's say of humanity from advertising and I give it to a machine, I have found on the creative side, not on the bidding side. I think on the bidding side and a lot of these pieces, like I'm a big fan of OCT, smart broads, like data integration. We, we do really well with that from a bidding side. But from a messaging, copy, and communication and creative side, I've always found diminishing marginal returns because but it's a hard problem, right? Because the same issue is like there's this weird thing in Facebook, for example, right? You run a Facebook ad, does really well, and then you get ad fatigue and it kind of goes to crap. So you have to scale because you need way more creative for a lot of different audiences you can constantly testing to keep the campaigns alive. Yet conversely, the more ads you're running, the less you actually have a true hypothesis anymore. 
And it's hard to scale your learnings because everything almost feels random. So how do we balance like scaling a scalable, how do we scale a scalable solution? I guess is the question in your mind. Like how do we scale things that are scalable? Because the, the finance oftentimes creates diminishing marginal returns once I set down that path. So I'm really curious to see like, how do your customers scale a scalable platform? Okay. Um, so let me try to dissect your questions. You, you mentioned a lot of things there. So let me start with um, yeah. how do they scale creative, right? So um, an example would be um, using our platform, you just create one ad and that ad through automation um, can become millions of different variations um, depending on who you're serving that ad to and in what context. So because of automation, if you imagine every single person have to create, you know, um, an ad for you, um, let's say we're selling you, uh, you know, food, you know, recommend food um, products. Uh, in the morning, obviously, I have to create certain messaging, right, whether it's, you know, weekdays, weekends, um, and then, you know, so, and then during the midday, right, I have to sort of figure out uh, what kind of, you know, food preferences, so that's, uh, so breakfast, lunch, dinner, that's three different variations. And then uh, weekdays, weekends, and then seasons, right? So if you start looking at all the different variables, how many ads do I have to create if I have to do it manually, um, right? So that's where the cost, it becomes very costly. Um, whereas if you use automation and data can drive all of that, right? So data tells me, okay, today is, you know, what's today, Thursday and Thursday morning, right? So what should I serve you at um, 9.12? <laughs> and- Which I understand, I totally get that. My point of scaling things that are scalable is mm -hmm. I need the feedback loop. To, to create scale, I need to allocate more capital, mm -hmm. right? So I'm the marketer. I believe what you're saying, you're right. I can't have mm -hmm. like an army of outsourced creatives yeah. in the Philippines, which is what a lot of the brands are doing that are trying to spin up this creative 24 seven. So we're trying to come up with creative ways to scale. My point here, though, is if I'm running 10 different ads to women, let's say, in my psychographic profile at 9 a.m. for a CPG product, how do I know what's working and why? Because I need to be able to take that back to finance and say, or to my CMO and say, this is what's resonating. Let's integrate this back into our website or into these other – like, how do when I bring AI and scale into yes. it? How Absolutely. do I then create the scalability of the scale with confidence to fund is what I'm trying to figure out. Yes. So obviously, whenever you run something like that, the platform yeah. has all kinds of uh, data points, right, which you can run analytics. And so based on certain higher performing ads, you can then optimize, you know, your ads to the highest performing ad, for example. Um, so that's one way of scaling. And also you can deliver the um, feasibility. Um, and the other way, as to your point, right, um, AI, because AI can learn, it's a black box, but it, it understands, it looks at all the data, the trends, and it could recommend, right, uh, this is the better, you know, performing um, set of ads and uh, for specific individuals. So the whole thing about um, this automation, this whole process is uh, at the individual level, and that's where it's valuable. I get that. Do you think Ogilvy's turning in his grave though? Honest question. Like, because how do we, like what happens to copy then? Like what happens to 
like our brand's voice. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do we, because that's such a big thing today, right? For all these brands, it's like, what's our voice? And how are we communicating? Can we scale voice? That's what I'm like, I'm so curious on this. It's such a fascinating idea. Yeah, we work with them. For example, I mean, we're a platform, um, but we don't actually design the ads, the messaging. So um, partners like that, you know, they do all the strategic design, the beautiful graphics, right? And then they just feed that into our platform. And um, so uh, we use data to uh, serve these ads, right, to the peop- uh, to the right uh, person, wherever they are, what, um, depending on what channel, social, or you know, display. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that we do. But the design and all of the stuff, we still work with the partners because that's not our core competency. I see what you're saying. So that's where that template type approach comes in, and that's how we can create that scale, but also differentiation, right? Right. So now, you have still the agencies to create these beautiful, um, you know, um, design, design, right? Um, right. So that's how that beautiful design can still be ingested into our platform. And when it comes out as an ad, you still have that. I see. No, that makes total sense. How can B2B companies, right? So if I'm a SaaS marketer, I'm listening to this and I'm saying, okay, does time of day matter for B2B? Does if it's raining matter for B2B? What, what kind of contextual personalized things do you think B2B advertisers can do better? Because this is a totally new concept to someone like myself around like, I get why a direct to consumer, a big CPG brand does it this way, right? How can a B2B software company with a higher average order value, you know, more longer sales cycle, less transactional buying, what can they learn from this in your mind? So what the common denominator here is that regardless you're in B2C or B2B, we're all humans, right? So when B2B, right, sell to um, a a business person, but they are also business people. And they, uh, so what really um, becomes very um, eye-opening for a lot of us is last year, the pandemic, right? So a lot of us are stuck at home. And um, how do we socialize? We discover that more and more people go to social media, right? For people, it's LinkedIn. And that's where we connect with people. So um, where you can learn is um, the messaging, you know, is no longer just one direction. This is something that we're learning too. That B2B, you start, you need to start looking from the omni-channel perspective, very much like, you know, what B2C companies do. So... This is Sour and Sass, but I have a follow-up question. Are you ready? <laughs> I know we're getting to this. Yes. <laughs> I know. I delayed as long as I could for you, Hannah. I was trying to be a friend, but it's now time for the sour candy. Okay. Which one? <laughs> I'm doing uh, – I had to get my own, so I'm doing a Sour Patch Kid. I think you probably have Warheads and Toxic Waste. So okay. you choose. So Toxic Waste, right. This is Watermelon. Yeah, I kind of like the toxic waste better. I'm not going to lie. All right. <laughs> oh, it's on three. Oh, my goodness. Okay. One, two, three. Oh. Now. Oh, yeah, that's sour. Um, much of what we do in B2B is lead gen. How much was this cost? per SQL, cost per demo, right? It's the world you live in. Now, the biggest gap in B2B is they have horrific media mix balance, to your point of Omnichannel. There's no funding that goes to top of funnel brand. 
And so we have, once again, diminishing returns on our CAC. In, in other words, our customer acquisition cost keeps increasing because we don't have less expensive channels that we're balancing and we're doing everything at bottom of funnel prospecting in B2B. While B2C, on the other hand, right, does everything at top of funnel prospecting at a CPM level, tags it, and then retargets it at the bottom of funnel, and you get a lower blended CAC. So my question to you is what types of KPIs should SaaS marketers be using to evaluate the success of top of funnel campaigns so they can increase their funding of it and create a healthier media mix? Mm. It's really hard to talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a lot of training. I've been doing this for, I think it's like a 50th episode or something like that soon. So I don't know when the 50th is. We have to celebrate it, Brian. But Anna, are you able to talk? Okay. Yes. <laughs> mm. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. No, <laughs> the sour candy got you, huh? Yeah, and this is not the worst one, right? <laughs> okay. No, it's not. I'm gonna keep going though, just to support everyone. All right, you're up. Yeah. Okay. So in B two B, these days, I think marketers are all responsible for revenue. So um, before, you know, you were looking at the number of leads, the um, NQLs, but today, when we look at NQLs, we look very hard at what's the conversion, the probability of conversion into SQLs, right? And we're even now using a lot of the tools to help us qualify NQLs. And so um, that's definitely one of the key um, uh, metrics that we look at. Uh, ultimately, we have our eyes on revenue, on conversion. And yeah. um, so we look at what vehicles can bring us the highest you know, NQLs. So um, we work very closely with the sales team and we yeah. see if that conversion, you know, starts from 10%, right? If you're on uh, Salesforce, yeah. there's that 10% probability. Was that conversion to 30% to 60%? And so that kind of metrics can tell us then, okay, so this campaign um, is actually generating, you know, more of these conversions um, to revenue than these other campaigns. So um, that's a lot of the things that we do um, is to look at that kind of metrics. Okay, but my perspective, because I, I get what you're saying, mm -hmm. and I have a over a million dollar budget that I get to personally treat as like research and development here at Directive. And what I found is that my pursuit of revenue is the biggest reason why I'm not making more revenue. Because I'm not telling anyone about my brand. There's this concept, right, of demand generation, yet actually it's lead generation, right? And so I'm proposing a new approach called customer generation. But the hypothesis that all your advertising has to generate customers in a one-to-one -one nature is the biggest thing holding B2B back in my mind. Because what I was trying to ask you is like, there's no way for B2B brands right now that I've seen for them to create value at the impression level. And so none of them are valuing how many impressions they deliver to their total addressable market. And because of that, they have to keep doing more expensive offers, campaigns, and bottom of funnel things like LinkedIn combo ads, Google ads, very expensive channels compared to, let's say, YouTube videos, Facebook videos, programmatic display. So what can B2B learn from, let's say, CPG so that they can move more to TV ads and these top of funnel campaigns, even though they have a niche audience? Yeah. So that, okay. So it, it is absolutely the funnel question. Um, so if you're looking at um, 
the bigger picture, right? The brand building um, that's selling to, okay, so sell, okay. So when you sell to enterprises, right? Depending on your product, the yep. cycle might be a lot longer, right? Very and great. so um, the decision process within the enterprise, right? It's not just like a consumer, I decide today, I want to buy this product right now. So there is more of a, um, a timeline you need to think about and who are the influencers? Um, when I talked about earlier, the common denominator is that we're all humans. Um, so we need to talk to each, we need to identify who these influencers, decision makers are and relate to them on a you know personal basis, one-to-one. Um, but still certain things don't change, which is, you know, you still have to go through this process of, you know, approvals. And um, so from that perspective, I think this is why you're seeing more and more of the um, ads that focus on, um, you know, performance. Um, There are branding, um, but so these days it's really, you know, because your board constantly demand, you know, uh, where are the metrics, you know, uh, how how are you performing? Uh, You do branding. It is very important, by the way. Um, but branding is harder to justify because, you know, I expend how many million dollars running these brands and, you know, what's my return? Um, interestingly, though, uh, we invest in PR, right? Again, that's for branding. Uh, we invest in uh, analyst relationships, <laughs> which is also branding. But uh, analyst relationships, they have a direct connection with the they consumer. Do, right? they yeah. You also got a sales enablement asset too, right? Which is yeah, easier. Yeah, so that's different, right? Yeah. So um, there is more of that direct connection to the uh, potential buyers. And for PR, we've noticed that if we place uh, thought leadership um, or how to do kind of guides at the trade level, and we actually have seen um, conversions, interestingly, really? you know, articles that you write. Yeah. And because from the RFPs that we're receiving, um, they're asking questions that we put out, you know, as an article. Um, yeah, yeah. How we can track and we can also, PR can also look at um, Google Analytics and give us report on, you know, uh, how many people actually click on or respond to this, uh, to our articles. So everything is about metrics these days. And um, yeah, so based on all this, then you can look at the entire spectrum of, you know, whether it's um, advertising PR, um, you know, and some of these more uh, lower funnel things. And you can see um, on what part of the customer journey, um, how are you doing at different parts of the customer journey and what vehicles working better than others. Every company is different. Obviously, every industry is different. No, I love that answer. And I think, you know, one of the things we talked about offline was how during COVID, a lot of the brands that are partnering with you move from this, like, buy our shoes to we care about social justice issues. Um, It's very easy to measure if someone bought shoes or not. How are brands measuring as we pivot into a social justice first brand positioning that's very popular right now in the world how how are people measuring the success of their social justice branding uh maybe i know how nike and maybe the biggest and the baddest do it but what about if you're like a startup b2b software company and you want to take a larger social justice position how how are people evaluating the success of their brand having a opinion and belief system and values integrated to their advertising? 
Okay, so let's start with the B2C because it's something that everybody yeah. can relate, right? So um, look at Patagonia, right? They make clothes, yeah. adventure, you know, um, but look at what the brand, the vision, the mission, I mean, they talk a lot about, you know, the environment, right, of being active. REI talking about get outside and be active. Um, it all is, you know, it's all about lifestyle and that's what they believe in. So that's the bigger picture, the bigger vision and Nike of all, right? And they talk about the athlete. Well, there's a difference though, I think, right? Between like, I want to be clear here. I think there's a difference between utopic lifestyle, which is kind of what mm -hmm. REI is doing in Patagonia, which is, I think it's pretty, I don't want to say it's safe for them, but it's safe. No one's like, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't burn the forest. Like, no, we should burn all the forests, right? Like, I think in general, it's pretty safe compared to like Nike doing, let's say a Kaepernick campaign. Like that's a, I want to be like honest, right? That's different between social justice and environment in my mind. It's like, mm -hmm. how are, we, are people, how do they measure it? Like, I'm really genuinely curious. I'd love to hear. Well, certain things like this, um, you, there's no direct metric that will say, if I run this kind of ads, this is the kind of um, return I get. But it's all part of the brand building. If people yeah. um, who believe, who buy your product because they can, they they believe in what you believe in, and yeah. so that is the kind. So that's the top, you know, umbrella messaging, and then you can go from there to run campaigns that would drive a specific, uh, you know, uh, sales based on this yeah. bigger vision. Um, not to date ourselves, but did you remember, yeah. you know, Microsoft? What was their vision, right? Um, there is a, a com computer on every desk, right? So that is the bigger vision. Um, I'm not sure how that relates to social justice, but you know, coming back to that vision, and based on that, look at you know how their business was built on that, and how they yeah. you know market and sell their product. So that's yeah. sort of the correlation to the B2B. I'm sure incrementality could probably play a pretty pretty big part in that as well. I'm guessing, right? So like you could do incrementality, right? And you could take your social justice campaigns, and then you can measure incremental revenue off of impressions on social justice campaigns versus people who didn't start. So in other words, you can look at a hypothesis to say, I believe that a values first approach to advertising will drive more revenue on my direct response campaigns. And then you could test essentially and say, viewers like at like people we advertise to that started with, let's say a values based campaign and then received a direct response ad. how did they convert with people who saw a brand campaign that wasn't values based and then a product direct response ad. I think you can maybe do some incrementality there, but yeah, I think it's very, it's very interesting, you know, cause I think much of what B2C has done is they have these large product portfolios that have so many SKUs and you have to figure out how to scale it across so many regions and globally, but B2B SaaS is going the same way, right? Platform-based companies, lots of product lines like you all, right? I, I, when I go through your website, you have so many different products. How do you educate the world about all your different products? And still have like a unified Jivox stance and then translate that and integrate it to all your product lines. Do you think like how can brands do a better job with product advertising of the B2B side from what B2C is doing in your mind? Yeah, I mean, back to your point, uh, value base. So if you put out all these product, if you describe the features, you know, what it can do, if you go to every uh, other, your competitors' website, yeah. you know how easy it is to copy the messaging and they can all say, this is what we do, right? Yeah. Um, so at some point, uh, you need to deliver value. And not only do you say that you can do certain things, you got to demonstrate. And so this is. <laughs> 
I love that. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it going. I know I almost killed you, so I'm like just trying to carry this team here. You know, thank you for not making me eat that one. <laughs> Where no, I get, I get exactly <laughs> what you're saying there. For your platform, how do you all measure ROI on programmatic? So how are you measuring ROI on kind of impression-based campaigns where we know 99% of the people aren't even going to click? Yeah. So I think um, the first thing that you think about, right, is automation, how you create lots of, you know, huge um, numbers of uh, ad variations. Um, yeah. And, you know, so that's where that um, automation can come into savings. And also on the media side, right? So if you um, have the uh, data, to look at what ads perform better. So um, you can then look at, instead of just spending a ton of money across the board, you could focus more of your um, media money on those higher performing um, ads. So yeah. with, with both of these, um, you should be able to see the ROI. I love that. No, no, I exactly what you're saying. Anna, you dropped so much. I'm like learning about the CPG b2c world and then trying to figure out how that ties back to b2b so this is so interesting and insightful so thank you so much uh for being on sour and sass if anyone wants to learn more about jivox yourself how, how can they follow along with your journey and uh learn more about what you all do well um if you uh would like to learn more obviously go to um www.jivox.com um, we also have a um, LinkedIn page where you can uh, find a lot of our thought leadership pieces. So, yeah, absolutely. Come and um, call us. We can definitely walk you through a personal demo to show you what we do. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for being on the show. That's another episode of Sour and Sass, everyone. And uh, thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Bye.